Uh, welcome to the Open Patriot Podcast for yet another episode. Fantastic to have you uh, tuned in as we nearly come to the end of this 10-part series talking about transition and talking about strategy. It's fantastic to have uh, a person who is very highly regarded in the industry, but also most importantly by myself um, in our association the last four or five years, uh, the CEO of Bell's Hot Chicken in Melbourne, Dean Bigham. Hey, Dean. How are you? Hey, Sean. Um, I'm well. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Um, now, we've known each other for, I think it's been about four or five years now with our, um, with our um, time at Grilled. Um, no, I've been I've been out of grilled for five years, mate. So oh, yeah, that's ten. true. So it's been longer. It must be. It has to be. It has to be. I, I think I started at grilled in two thousand and ten or eleven. So okay, and I think you were I was there, there at, at that, that time. time. So I think I met you ten years. pretty pretty early on. So um, yeah, ten years. Wow, we okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> that's made for really old. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> So let's let's talk about how you started out in your career because I know it's different from um, a lot of people in the in the hospitality game, um, um, somewhat. But coming from supply chain, how did you actually start out? Yeah, look, I think um, I'll I'll try and make this quick because I tend to make it a long story. But I grew up in regional Victoria, which I think has a pretty big imprint on how you view the world, mm-hmm. um, positive and negatively depending on what issue that you're talking about so um and i was pretty shy um interestingly so i wanted to kind of stay around bendigo went to university in bendigo didn't know what i wanted to do with my life but i was always pretty good at maths and um stuff so um, i was fascinated by marketing so i ended up doing a marketing degree um and um then then i uh then i got a job in kind of an automotive supplier business. So, so a, a, a company, one of the Nilex companies, and I don't think Nilex exists anymore. It's just a sign in Richmond, sign in Richmond. <laughs> pretty much. Um, and they supplied car parts basically to Ford and Holden and Mitsubishi and Toyota mm-hmm. and all of those. And so I started off in kind of the sales and marketing and end and um, ended up in kind of uh, getting popped around a whole bunch of different departments. So good, mm-hmm. good early grounding. Um, and then ended up in the supply chain part, um, of the business. And while I was there, I did a post-grad in, um, uh, uh, technology or computing, um, at the same time. So that's, that's been kind of helpful, um, as well as I've moved on. But I thought that, that, yeah, that the starting point was the automotive industry, which when I look back on it, gives you an incredibly tough industry, not unlike hospitality is kind of these days, Sean. So I'm, yeah. I, I probably got, born into the fire um if a really really tough hard hitting industry incredibly low margins mm-hmm. all driven by efficiency process quality um and some of the quality systems in that industry are just through the roof so i think a lot of that served me well at the time i looked at it and just went this is um you know the 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 uh, quality manuals from Ford that were a foot thick and you had to kind of read them <laughs> were, were insane. Right. So yeah, right. It, it kind of seemed a bit crazy at the time, but um, that, that going through that, I think early in the career is probably a pretty good setup for just again, mm-hmm. how you view the world. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's where I started. Yeah. So how did not it, hospo. <laughs> how did, so how did it come to be that you actually, you came into hospo because you've actually talked about a really good grounding in, you know, a lot of black and white stuff. 
um, in regards with automotive and, and that kind of thing. And then you, you suddenly come into this hospitality environment, which is what I say is largely gray. Um, how did it come to be that you sort of came into mm. hospitality? There's a few few similarities, mate. There was a lot of people yelling at each other in the hosp- in the automotive <laughs> industry, and you, you sometimes see that when hospitality is at its worst. But um, so I went overseas, like again, probably part of I had this underlying want to get out and see the world, even though I was you know from regional Victoria and probably mm. ultimately a bit shy and sort of. But I had an underlying passion to go out there and see what what made the world tick. Mm-hmm. Um, did what every Australian does and jumped on a plane and drank beer for a few years, um, you know, to begin with in Europe, um, ended up, uh, and I, I got working visas before I went. So I had some working visas for, for okay. um, the UK, had some working visas for, for Canada, mm-hmm. ended up in Vancouver um, in Canada, which is again, pretty common for the tourist trail. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to ski or snowboard. Yeah. Um, and a pl- Loved it. And I'd met a whole bunch of people from Canada, loved Canadians and particularly mm-hmm. West Coast because they were just so laid back and yeah, very, very, mm-hmm. very liberal um, mm-hmm. um, part of the world. And so I just applied for a job out of the newspaper. And I remember it was, um, it was for like an, an equipment um, role or an equipment supply chain role. It was really vague. And I just went, well, I've worked in the automotive industry. That's kind of equipment. And I've mm-hmm. purchased things before and managed stock. I'll, I'll get this. And unbeknownst to me, as I went through the, um, the process, um, it ended up being a company called A&W Canada, which is call it 800 burger joints and mm. a billion dollars in revenue or something Huge. like that. Yeah. And they wanted a maternity relief role to buy like, toasters for new restaurant openings and grills <laughs> for new restaurant openings, like managing the stock from the supplier through to the new restaurant opening. Cause that right. opened 20 or 30 restaurants a year. Yeah. And yeah. then I got off and I kind of didn't know what that role was. And then the, the, the head of sort of commercial or um, purchasing supply chain commercial, that kind of division of the company just said, I want you to be my purchasing manager for food at the end of the um, interview process. And I kind of right. looked at her like she'd, she was drunk, to be honest. Like it was really, I just went, what are you doing? And yeah, then yeah. it was more money than I thought. Um, I, I it was certainly more money than the other role that was advertised. And I just yes. went, you know, I'm traveling and I want to do stuff. This is awesome. I might as well just have a big swing at it and see how I go. And I probably spent the next five years there just trying to catch up to this um, one amazing person's expectations of me. And I, and I think right. that really just proved I found out in that role that I could probably do a lot more than I thought I could. Um, right. And um, I think found out that that grounding in the automotive industry in probably more of a, um, I don't want to call it, call it a looser industry, but probably ones without so many regulated standards um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, probably that backing took me a long way very quickly and created some belief in those people around me about what I could do. So, so that ended up being just an absolute, yeah, really fortuitous turn of events yeah. that was completely unplanned. And I, I, I wanted to snowboard for three or six months and I stayed for five or six years. And yeah, that was, that was the turn into hospo. And um, I've been in there ever since. And um, really the next permanent stop was probably grilled after I contracted um, for a couple of other food firms when I came back to Australia mm-hmm. and I was with grilled for four or five, maybe four years 
um, where I met you and then kind of into um, some other hospitality businesses in, in Melbourne. Mm. Now, obviously you're the, the CEO of um, definitely the hottest, hottest I say by, by term of actual heat and also the coolest yes. um, uh, fried chicken brands Australia Bells um, has had an amazing rise to fame um, since they opened in Melbourne um, with the great work of Morgan. And can you talk about what's happened with inside that business, um, you know, since March, since COVID's happened, because there are uh, every single business within hospitality at the moment are having different stories in how they're pushing through or not pushing through and, and challenge times. Mm-hmm. So how's, how's Bell's coping um, in this time? If I can ask you. Oh, it's probably a tough, it, it depends on the day, mate, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like it's mm-hmm. a really, um, uh, we're, we're trying to keep our runway pretty short at the moment. So I'm, I'm a big one on thinking through a year, two years, three mm-hmm. years ahead mm-hmm. um, and trying to plan you know, expansion. So our view of Bell's generally, Sean, is that um, without any lack of respect for for anyone else in the industry, um, I think Bell's is probably has the best brand of any of the, if I can call it premium fried chicken um, sort of offers that are around. Um, And what's happened over the journey is those big sort of four American staples, burgers, Mm -hmm. um, Mexican food, pizza, chicken um mm-hmm. have all got their qsr leaders and they're, they're the obvious big brands around the world there's no real um premium player that's taken that market by the scruff of the neck and and that's that's what we see is the wide open field for bells so if we can actually get it right and i think we've got product and brand right sean which you, you've talked about it's it's probably more of the back of house stuff that mm-hmm. i've spent a lot of time working on and mm-hmm. often my wife says i'm the uncoolest person working in a coolest business in Australia, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty true. So I get to hang out with a lot of cool people, but I, I often don't fit in, but, but they're good people. Um, so we've got a view to grow the business, mate. So then we get hit by this pandemic. And I think the longer I sit with um, sort of COVID and the impact, the, the first um, shortening that horizon, I think the first important thing is just really protect um, the business and, and that's, mm. that's multifaceted. You've got to, you've got to maintain your relationships with your people because I think that um, in, in tough times, people become really focused on themselves mm. and, um, and, you know, so board members become focused on themselves and their investment. Um, yeah, of course. CEOs become focused on themselves and their job and, yeah. Um, yeah. and can you keep the doors open and mm. managers uh, focused on whatever else is going on in their lives as well as do they have a paycheck and what are the government, you know, incentives and all that stuff. So everyone's got these different needs that are kind of flowing around their heads. So I think in, in some part, Sean, I've just got to make sure that people are okay um, yeah, is yeah. probably the first thing. I need to make sure that we have some cash in the bank and that mm-hmm. that's not going backwards too quickly because if it goes backwards too quickly in an event that doesn't have a timeline next to it, um, you know, what are you going to do? Do you, do you need to put more money in? How do you raise capital? Um, you know, I love all of the government supported 
debt initiatives that are going on, but I don't know anyone that's successfully applied for one is the reality because the banks are actually saying that I'm not going to lend into the hospitality industry. So, Mm. so the debt part of that equation is pointless. Mm. So just protecting people, protecting cash and making sure for our customers, we're doing things the right way and um, still giving them a Bell's experience, which is really based on human interaction in an environment that is short on human interaction. Cause in Melbourne today, we're all wearing face masks and yep. um, in Sydney where we've got operations as well, that's a bit more, um, we've got some people allowed back into restaurants, but um, you know, we remain concerned about the health issues up there. Yep. So I think um, COVID's had a massive impact, but I think what we've done is we've managed some of the simple stuff around the business really well. So we've kept our operations really tight. We actually shut the business for a period of time until we could um, find an operational um, structure that we thought could withstand what's going on. Yep. Um, and one of the things I think I'm pretty good at, uh, back to that automotive industry grounding, is putting together a tool where I can just say to managers, plug in your sales here, plug in your labor there. And I can tell you whether you're cash flow positive or negative in about five minutes. And yeah. just, just giving people really simple decision-making tools, because I think in times like this, um, the old Mike Tyson adage is everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes, um, for sure. It's really hard to think clearly when this stuff's going on. So I think my focus has really been around, you know, creating tools to keep the business um, cash flow positive and then trying to bring as much of the bell's love to staff and customers as we can, which is probably a bit easier said than done at the moment. But I think, I think we're going pretty well. Mm. We remain positive. We still, we still have a view to grow. I'm actually looking for property at the moment, which is a really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're looking to expand still, but it is nerve wracking based on the unknowns around coronavirus. Um, Yeah, of course. It makes, makes, makes your nerves more afraid than usual mate. yes <laughs> yes um yeah like property's a really hard one because you're always i mean you're always uh you're always guessing aren't you like you can see so much data and all that kind of stuff you're always hoping and you know talking to a lot of people about different property expectations but when you yeah. chuck in something like covid in which you know mm. there are deals that could be done because of unfortunate you know people you know losing their businesses it's um <laughs> makes it even more confusing. So well, the rules around property have changed. Like one of the big things that I'm trying to get my head around at the moment is um, if I think about pre COVID um, the most coveted properties would be uh, probably the CBDs and most developed mm-hmm. areas of the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, the inner suburbs in Melbourne and Sydney by and large were in trouble. Um, Mm. so the rents, the rents had got beyond what the, um, revenue could support and, and, you know, well documented the, the, um, the impact of delivery and stuff, which is, which is pressuring margins in particularly in the inner inner suburbs. So we had a view that, um, you could probably develop a really sustainable business, um, in the city or very close to the city. And then probably you're looking three or four suburbs out from the CBD to find your next most sustainable business, Mm. um, And the rules have kind of all been upended. So the, the cities and the CBDs are now the worst performing venues along with shopping centers just in the market. Um, And actually those inner suburbs have come back to life um, and they were really struggling. So you're seeing much more traffic because people are working from home. Um, And then the outer suburbs kind of haven't blinked apart from early 
downturns um, mm-hmm. in the COVID crisis, they seem to have responded. Actually, you, you might not know that there's much of an issue if you look at yeah. people's sales numbers. So, yeah. so the the world of property has kind of been turned on its head. Um, and then you know, there's a lot of commentary at the moment. None of us know the answers about what, how, and how quickly landlords will react to that. So. Lots of commentary saying that CBD will be maximum 60 or 70% occupancy for the next three years. Um, mm. You know, a, a landlord's dropping their rents by 30 to 50%. The answer is no. So what does that actually mean for tenanted properties and rents and hospitality businesses for the next six or 12 months? So, yeah, it's an interesting one looking for property because you're kind of guessing a little bit at the moment what property is going to be able to deliver for you in the here and now, as well as in the next three years, which which in a fast evolving world is a tough thing to to guess. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a really tough one to understand how um, the work from home model is going to change. If if mm. you know, obviously there's going to be a percentage of people who are going to now work from home or work part of their week from home. Um, that completely changes the game if you've got, especially, you know, cafe venues are probably going to be the one who are going to suffer the most because they've got the, uh, the lowest dollar value and basket value. Um, if all of a sudden the person who you relied on to get five coffees a week is getting two coffees a week um, and that's across a whole brand, which you might serve to someone in a tower, which has got 5,000 people, mm. changes the game. It's going to be really interesting to see what happened with the CBD market, I think. Yeah, it is. And I think that's specific to the CBD. Again, you look at a cafe in the suburbs, all the cafes I'm seeing are, are doing bigger numbers than they've ever done, to be Absolutely. honest. Like pe- yeah. People are eating there two and three times a day. <laughs> the one, the one thing that COVID, apart from Instagram, um, mm. people, people aren't cooking more. I know they're doing it online and socially, yeah. but what I'm seeing from people is there's just a need to get out and about, get a little bit of fresh air. Um, and I think going through the GFC in North America was a really interesting one. So I was with A&W mm. during the 2008 financial crisis. And I think yeah, right. um, Australia, I wasn't here, but but from what I've read and what I've seen is that Australia didn't really get no. the GFC. And I no. think that, that everyone actually continued on pretty well. Um, we certainly weren't in the US. So we were based in Canada, but, you know, 150 kilometres from the border. <laughs> yes. um, so I think that... Uh, Canada got a pretty big hit, negative hit in the GFC compared mm-hmm. to Australia, certainly, um, mm-hmm. but not quite as big as the US. And what we saw is that um, uh, those businesses that offered comfort and value and humanity surged. Um, mm-hmm. A&W happened to be one of those. So we actually, we, we'd typically grow it. Um, four to 6% a year was a, was a typical clip on what we call same store sales. So the yeah. same venue measured year on year. Um, and that, that's not including new venues added. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that probably double um, to 12% yeah. during that period, which is really counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But what people were doing is they were, we, we used to say they're trading from steaks to burgers. Um, yeah, because right. Pe- people don't, they're not changing their behaviour about wanting to go out for a meal or um, it's actually more complicated than that. I, I think psychologically what people are doing is in a time of disruption and uncertainty, they, they're craving comfort. Mm-hmm. And so what we found is that A&W being a heritage drive-in burger brand, so it used to be the brand with the 
girl on roller skates and yeah you know the the the, the 1950s kind of cars yeah. that kind of american burger mm-hmm. brand similar to in and out in mm-hmm. california which lots of people yep. know yeah um so people would would comfort themselves by coming to a and w and getting um some food because it reminded them of childhood and being safe and yeah. feeling good about themselves and feeding their family for, you know, 20 or 30 bucks um, mm-hmm. rather than the, the higher priced alternative. So I think interestingly, there's a couple of things going on at the moment, mate. There's this, there's a, an underlying property disruption. Mm-hmm. So I think if you've got the best business in the world, but it's in the CBD of Melbourne or Sydney at the moment, you're struggling, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the property is dictating that you're struggling because the, the, the humans aren't there. They're not, yep. the, the office workers aren't there. The tourists aren't there. Yep. Um, then there's another thing that's kind of happening as well, which is um, when I'm feeling uncertain about the world, how does my behavior change? And I notice it in myself as well. I tend to do things that make me feel good. And that might mm-hmm. be going for a run at one end of the spectrum and getting some endorphins going. Yep. And it might be going and getting, you know, a chicken sandwich and, a bottle of wine because yep. that yep. that just makes me feel like I'm getting a warm hug, um, yeah. <laughs> which um, we're not allowed to do at the moment, mate. So I think that there's these layers of things that are logical and emotional kind of going on at the same time in the market and, and, and trying to unpick those and therefore predict how consumers will behave during yep. a really uncertain time. I think it's a real challenge. At one level, I find it fascinating because it's it's just an interesting intellectual exercise to go through. But but I, I, I feel like that's what's going on. And I think the operators that react best to those challenges um, will do the best. And then I think the other question that's going on is how permanent or temporary are some of these changes? And if you mm. use the GFC example again, it was pretty temporary. So um, even in North America, it was kind of a year or 18 months and it came flying out of the other side. And interestingly with COVID, I'm looking at a lot of the numbers around the world and Germany, for instance, their um, COVID numbers are now very low and the reports Mm. out of their hospitality businesses in Berlin, I think are up, you know, 10 to 20% on pre-COVID levels. So so the businesses have come flying out of the other side if they've managed themselves well through the crisis. And that's, that's what we're trying to think about at the moment. How much of a challenge is it for you? You've got, you know, two, di- two different, very, very different states in Australia in which you're managing teams. One where, one where, as you said before, like we're all wearing masks in a second lockdown in Melbourne. The second one, you know, you've got, you've got stores in Sydney um, in which, you know, they're not wearing masks yet, but there's concern about what's going to happen in New South Wales as we tape this, you know, the 24th of July. Um, how's that? How are you dealing with that, Dean? Because that must be extremely challenging to manage two sets of teams like that. Yeah, I think um, I think I'm dealing with it well or not well, depending on what the day is, yeah. Sean. Like I think yeah. I think you've also got to be aware of your own um, uh, yeah, how, how you're going yourself. So so I think I think you know you make good calls and dumb calls, but I think the thing that's standing us in pretty good stead is um, I'm probably the furthest thing. Some people will laugh at this if they hear it. I'm probably the furthest thing of a, a, from a micromanager that you could imagine. Mm, I actually I tend to get pretty tight and close to people that um, need it mm. and aren't, aren't performing. Like, like if, if, if you find that I'm looking over your shoulder at a bunch of stuff, then ch- chances are there's just a bunch of problems in 
the mm. role that you're performing and, and, and I do it from an intent of, of trying to help, but yeah, it, yeah. it does get weird when the CEO sitting beside you doing spreadsheets and telling <laughs> you how to rotate your stock and going through <laughs> your roster. And it, you know, I'm aware yeah. of that, but, yeah. but I think, um, probably my personal style and the way I like to be is I like to be incredibly independent, left alone, trusted that I'm good at what I do. And mm-hmm. if, if probably most of the um, challenge that I need, and I get this from my board is, is maybe just a bit of a challenge to see the world a different way if I'm getting to tunnel vision. So just sure. a bit of a heads up. Have you thought about this, that or the other thing? And, mm-hmm. you know, I find that very helpful. Um, it's, it's how I tend to treat our managers as well. And a manager at Bells is probably not the equivalent of a manager at another brand, a manager at Bells. Um, and, and I tell them this, I, I want this to be a pathway for you to own your own business effectively. Yep. So yep. if you, and, and lots of them do, so lots of them are legitimate hospitality people. It's one of the great things about Bells. They don't see Bells as a QSR. They see it as a legitimate hospitality mm. offer. They're proud, proud to work there. They're often people that want to go and start their own wine bar, their own cafe. Yeah. Maybe they want to get an ownership stake in a, in a Bell's restaurant at some point. Um, and kind of the quid pro quo is, is I say, well, if you, if you, if you don't have the type of personality that wants to be across everything and wants to take ownership, and I mean real sort of ownership for how that venue performs, then you probably shouldn't work here. Um, if you do, then I think it'll be a really cool grounding for whatever you go on to do next so i'll show you um you know i'll give you the ownership for complete ownership for rosters and managing stock and um any ideas you have to generate further sales and run promotions and all of that kind of stuff as long as it's within the broad tram tracks of what the brand should and shouldn't do mm-hmm. we just try and be very supportive of letting the guys run the business as they see fit and then by exception if we can just see stuff that's not going the right way, then, then that's when you kind of come in and, and try and help them rethink stuff or, or give them some feedback maybe to, to try things a different way. So a long winded way to get to the answer to the question, mate, but I think what we've developed over time is, is people that are a bit more like independent business owners than like your typical branded manager um, yep. of, of, a, of a retail business. Um, therefore they really understand their businesses and they really understand the decisions that are being made around the businesses. So whether, whether we're wearing face masks and we're doing takeaway and delivery only, or whether we're actually allowed to have 12 or 16 or 28 people sort of dining with us, um, the managers, um, by and large have been incredibly adaptable to those circumstances because they're, they're not, seeing me as the driver of the change, they really get the transparency that it's the environment around them that's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they understand their businesses enough to really get why I'm agitating to move to different, you know, ways of, um, of operating. So yeah. I've, I've actually found, this is going to sound silly. I found I'm, I'm less busy. Like it sounds silly. Yeah. Like I spend a lot of my time usually trying to find property recruit people, you know, mm-hmm. grow, 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 what promotion's coming next. And, and there's still a bit of that going on. But what I'm finding is if, if we're more in a day-to-day management mode of the business, our, our managers are incredibly good caretakers of their own businesses. And mm-hmm. so I'm giving them advice. I'm probably giving them more advice. What I'm finding at the moment is I'm having to connect with them a little bit more about 
what's going on for them outside of work. Um, yeah, rather than because, mm. because when I'm seeing behavior that isn't lining up with what I expect, I've got to remember, and this happens in my own world as well. You know, there's mm. lots going on at the moment with people's health, um, you know, fears of, of the pandemic, how their family's going. Um, lots of our employees are um, from overseas. Um, yeah. Yep. To take a quick shot at the government, which is always fun. I don't understand the lack of support for people that weren't born here. I, yeah, I think it doesn't make any sense. Um, does it? I, I, you know, if they're paying taxes, I'm, it doesn't make sense. Well, I'm about to say unconscionable, which I, I think it is. So let's mm. just say that. Like, I, I just don't think it's good enough. Like, I think mm. that if if we say that we're the greatest example of a multicultural society on the planet, and that's what mm. we say. Mm. Um, as a society and then we say when taxpayers lose their jobs or their jobs are heavily impacted that we're not prepared to support them because they're born they, they weren't born here or they haven't officially got their citizenship they might have been here for 12 years right yes um, yeah on various visas like I, I get pretty emotional about that we're, we've got a few people in those circumstances as well and and it, it gets hard like what do you do it's, it's probably easy to help those people for a week or two weeks or three weeks. It's pretty hard to help them for six months. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so they're probably the tougher ones, like understanding people's individual circumstances, which are driving their behavior at the moment. But I think r- the running of the business, Sean, I've, I've been um, blown away with how little issues we've had. And I'm, I'm trying to help the guys through, you know, simple little tools and giving them, sort of different prisms to think about how they come into work each way, each day and, and manage their teams. But by and large, like they're just doing a terrific job of just running the business. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to um, grow that kind of culture with inside the brand team? Cause obviously I know what a great people manager you are. So I think that's definitely one facet of why Bells has that, um, you know, has that experience, led um uh yeah just an experience led business um you know you're a premium fast casual brand um you know heavily heavily wine skewed as well but to have especially in australia to have people with inside the brand who are leading the experience who have a belief in hospitality who um who want to do things outside the brand as well who see bells as part of a career progression that is largely very unique in this sector of our, of our hospitality network. You don't see that in Australia outside of sort of fine dining and, you know, and those mm-hmm. kind of venues. Like how have you been able to cultivate and grow that with Inside Bells? I think, um, yeah, uh, not sure. It, it's interesting. I don't think I've been a great people manager on occasion in my past. I've probably, as most people do, I think that you think you're a good people manager most of the time. Mm. Um, and so the thing that I've struggled with, if I try and put it in a nutshell, is um, I go about life in a certain way and I sometimes have trouble if, if people have very different values to me um, again, probably, probably informed by the regional Victoria upbringing, um, mm. that, that I, f- I feel like I've got a mentality of always having to prove myself. So I'll, I'll mm. tend to work harder than I'm expected to work and do more than I'm expected to do 
because you've got a natural chip on your shoulder because you're from a small town and, you know, there's, there's just a bit of an inferiority complex that you're trying to compensate for. So I don't mean to turn this into a um, Jungian podcast, mate, but but (laughs) there's probably a natural, a natural want from me to, to, to do that. Therefore I expect that naturally from other people and that's not always the case. And I think, where I've gotten trouble managing people previously is just having that expectation. And then when you see behavior that doesn't line up with that, you, you kind of get caught on the back foot and go, what, what do I say to this person? Like, how do I um, deal with a person that's not naturally doing the things that I think that they should just do, you know? 100%. And then you get into this world of, you know, how do you give good constructive feedback? And mm. my time at ANW, they had an incredible model for running culture through, you know, mass hospitality, right? And they called mm. this system climate. And it was really around talking a lot about behavior um, and calling out behavior that didn't align with behaviors that were, were mm-hmm. defined as key to the business. And, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that was, was very, very good learning. So I probably went to more of a humanistic model when I first got into hospitality. I'm probably rebalancing a little bit, these days and and i think this is actually what anw did well i just probably misinterpreted a little bit of what they did well Mm -hmm. the first thing i think that we do at bells is if you don't fit at bells you do not last very long we're not always good at that right yeah so i think it's hard to manage yeah well i think there's two edges to culture um and it's really difficult and it's and, and i'm still working on this so it's not a fully formed view of the world, but I've, I've, I, I, I did get to a place in my career that thought, you know, we should, we should, um, provide feedback and help and, and manage people to grow and learn in the way that we would like them to grow and learn. Mm. Um, I think what's happened at Bells is really credit to Morgan and Miranda for having an incredibly strong culture before I got there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they're two incredible hospitality people that founded <clears throat> Bells. And so they, the business already had incredibly high standards, which is probably the hardest thing to instill. If you're yeah. coming in new, Most if definitely. you come into a business that doesn't have high standards, then good luck. You got a lot of work yeah. in front of you. So I came yeah. into a business like Bells and it already had really high standards. So my challenge um, uh, with the culture was occasionally you would recruit someone that was great on paper and had been really successful other places, but really didn't fit and I got really worried about that for a start because I went, wow, this is a really successful person. They're not fitting, you know, maybe it's us. Maybe we're not doing the right thing. Maybe we don't mm. have the right onboarding program, the right training program, the right mm. whatever. I've probably learnt over the journey, uh, Sean, that we should try and find people that fit bells quite naturally. Right. Even if they don't get the greatest onboarding or training experience or management experience, they'll actually just thrive. You know, it's like to find their way inside that team. You mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of the gardening analogy, you know, some Mm -hmm. plants grow well in certain types of soil and Mm -hmm. certain types of climates and others don't. And Mm. I think if you, if you stop being so critical of all of the stuff that you're doing wrong. So I think people that have businesses and grow businesses and want to be successful generally spend 99% of their time looking at everything that's not working. So Mm. if I have an employee that's new to the business failing, 
I naturally go to what are all the things that we're doing wrong that mm. is leading to this employee not succeeding. Mm. What I'm pretty poor at doing is going, here are all the things that we do incredibly well. So if this person's not succeeding in our environment, maybe we're just not suited to work together and that's cool. Mm. You know, mm. how do we actually begin to have conversations like that with people really early? So if it's two, three or four months in and they're feeling alien and they haven't picked up lots of the key things and we've done a, you know, let's assume we've done a reasonable job of bringing them on and showing them the way mm-hmm. if it's not working. I've found with people, it's actually really refreshing to just say, look, I think you're probably amazing. You've, you've had amazing experiences and a, an amazing track record in the past we're probably just hurting each other by continuing on, you know, yeah, um, yeah. If, if you really want to, you know, let's put in some plans and I'll continue to give feedback and, and we'll try and grow you into that operator that we want you to be. Um, but ultimately if you're looking at us like, geez, these guys aren't giving me what I need and we're looking at them saying, you're not giving us what we need. Sometimes that question has got to be called. And I think if I look around the senior people at bells at the moment every single one of them is someone that fits that culture that we have naturally they're highly accountable they're incredibly independent Mm -hmm. um they you know have hospitality in their blood you know if if you were having dinner at their house it it would be like a five-star experience right they'd cook for you they'd serve you great wine they'd look after you you'd have a great time so um, each of our senior people in the business right now uh, are those, and that hasn't always been the case, but that's mm-hmm. probably just made it sort of easier to get to where we are, you know? Um, and I think that's a really good learning. So when you hit tough times like a COVID or, or if something goes wrong, if you've got the right people kind of in the business, I think that your flexibility and adaptability and your ability to deliver what bells ought to feel like even if you're having to hide behind a face mask. So there's a real, yeah. there's a real art, even if you're doing counter service or even if you're doing takeaway, getting that emotional connection with that customer, right. When they're standing out in the cold, you, you can do that if you've got the right people. Absolutely. Um, and um, if you've got the wrong people, you know, good luck to you. So I've, I've probably, we've been pretty lucky um, that we've, just got the people right. I think at the right time to help steer us through the, um, corona virus crisis that's going on and i think that i'll take a few lessons out of that and um i need to write it down because i get (laughs) you know find those right people and and keep them you know because if you can keep those right people and then when you go through good times or tough times you know the the business will be well looked after generally so yeah um, hope that answered your question, mate, but I'm I'm really, I'm proud of what they've done and I feel lucky because I I don't think I'd consciously realized that we'd got the people as right as we have Mm. until this, this virus hit. And then I'm looking around just going, everyone's doing such a good job. Like how did they, how did they learn to do all this stuff? And ultimately we've got a good combination of, I think having a pretty simple business with some pretty clear standards and rules and, and then having some really good people in the senior chairs and they're just managing it, which is, which is awesome. What's, what's, um, what's the biggest learning you've learned about your team during this time? Like you talked about a lot of different things there, which are so inspirational. And I bet if you're a hospitality owner listening to this and maybe not seeing that through their team, unfortunately, like what, what's the thing that you're taking away from your team at this time? 
Um, yeah, I think uh, I think there's a couple of things, mate. Uh, I think uh, I, I've spent more time, like uh, as you get older, um, and I've got two kids, family at home, and um, the other thing about me is I'm an introvert. Um, so I'm pretty happy with lockdown, you know, mm. like not the second time, the second time I think sucks yeah. by the way. Um, yes, I agree. the first time I was actually sitting there just going, I've got no social obligations cause there's a, like I can sit at home and do whatever I feel like. And, and I actually can thrive in that environment, um, mm. pretty easily. That's just not true of a lot of our staff. Right. So a lot of the time they haven't got family at home they might be living mm. on their own or in a share house and mm. it, that, that is a much tougher proposition so i think um a couple of the learnings about the staff sean is i think they're further along than i thought they were just in terms of their ability to independently manage a business in really tough times which which i think is you know fills me with pride and um it, i've got to take some real lessons out of that because i think that's the aspiration and as we grow, we've got to maintain that um, mm-hmm. because that just makes growing a business so much easier if you've got those pieces right. Mm-hmm. The other piece is um, uh, probably learning that if you're having difficulty with someone, it might not be you or the business that's the problem. That mm-hmm. becomes pretty pretty obvious in like in day-to-day life when you're having a, a, a generally good experience with an employee um, or one of your people. Um, and then you start having not good experiences. Um, it, it can be quite natural for you to sit there and go, well, this is about, um, them and the job and, yeah. you know, they've changed. And it, I think coronavirus just makes it more transparent. Sometimes it's just other stuff that's going on in life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably spent more time in the last month or two, just trying to figure out what's happening for people and, whether they're feeling good about the world and if they're not kind of what's driving that um, and, and just helping them through hopefully to an emotional space that allows them to just do what they do well. Um, probably also because it's just not good to be around people that aren't feeling great and I want to help. So, so I think, I think um, yeah, the evolution that I've probably gone through in the last little while is we can all be pretty egocentric. So when there's an issue mm. on the table, we can think it's about us or it's, it's the obvious thing of, of the non-performance. Sometimes what's going on is people are actually having significant challenges in their life and, and, and that maybe is the conversation that needs to be had rather than why weren't your numbers in on time on Monday? So, yeah, cause, yeah. cause they all, they all know, right. They all know the standards. They all know what needs to be adhered to. Um, if they're not doing it, generally something else is going on and and if you've got a good quality relationship with people and you're you're actually able to have really human conversations with your staff and you see them as people and they see you as a person you can wade into those areas with them and and try and help and that's not always um you know not always successful but but I've, i've found through this time that it's, it's made me more aware with how much goes on in other people's lives and how that can kind of impact the day to day. So, but, but generally mate, I, I think the biggest learning for me is just what a terrific job they're doing in really trying circumstances and how lucky we are to have, um, you know, fully cooked eggs as I call them, you know, they, they just, they've, they've, they've <laughs> got like the skills, they've got the, they've got the talent, they've got the ability and they're just doing the job. And that just puts me in a position where I can focus on, you know, 
dealing with landlords and dealing with property and figuring out how to expand the business rather than trying to just hold people together, um, mm. which is just a different mode. It takes you from being a bit defensive to back on the attack, if you like, just in terms of trying to grow the business. It must make you feel pretty confident though, looking at new property and feeling, um, feeling confident. You do have a lot of, you know, fully cooked eggs to use your analogy moving forward because you and I both know that, you know, the scalability of brands is always set back by the, the people you have within that brand. And if you're, if you're feeling that you've mm. got, you've got, you know, really quality people who are learning a lot from a crisis like this, and you've seen the best and worst and the way they've, you know, trucked through and moved through no matter what personal situation there is at the moment, then I must feel you pretty confident of you scaling this brand exponentially. Yeah, it's, it's probably, it, mm. It may be like, I, I worry about the next, it, who's, who's going to run the next one. Right. So that's, that's sure. the question ultimately. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that those people that manage the venues and then probably the, the, the most senior two or three that report into that person, that's, that's the key, right. And mm-hmm. get those people right. And they'll mm-hmm. figure out most things. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily feel like we've got, um, a lot of redundancy in that quality of people. Like I'm not sure that I can, I can lift two, three or four out to open that next venue without impacting the others. I think sure. mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment is how do we start to bring some more people through to create that capacity? So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think you're right. If, if we had that level of capacity in our people that are really senior and can run the business themselves, that, that next site, two sites, three sites will become a, a less daunting um, task. And, and I think at the moment yeah, we've got good capacity in our people, but um, at a pretty, we're a small to medium sized business mate. So we've got six and we'd like to, we had originally had plans to, to put three or four new restaurants on the ground, which has been mm. slowed um, yes. by coronavirus. But um, yeah, finding the capacity in those people is probably the, the challenge still. And um, yeah, I think there is an opportunity for operators out there at the moment you know, the other side of the pandemic is that if, if, if you've got your business in reasonable shape, there are, there are really, really strong people out there looking for opportunities at the moment. Mm. I think I recently um, ran some ads in Sydney where we might get, you know, 10 or 15 applicants um, off seek of any quality. I think we've got 140 um you know, oh, it's, right. it's like a, like a tenfold <laughs> increase in applicants. So well, um, there's some really good quality people that are looking for stuff at the moment that may have got caught in, um, you know, businesses that have been shut down temporarily um, and they need a paycheck and, and they're out there. So if you've got the capacity and you need, and you've got a view to grow, there's probably an opportunity to pick up some good people at the moment, which mm. is um, the other side of a, of a pretty tough coin. Mm, no doubt. Um, my last question to you before I let you leave, um, what are you, what are you looking forward to coming out of COVID both for the business, but probably more importantly for yourself? Um, oh, look, I think, um, uh, you know, I just want to sit, um, at a table in a restaurant with eight other people, you know, eating out of share plates and drinking lots of wine, mate, if I'm, if I'm honest, <laughs> like I think, I think again, that regional Victoria element, you know, big family Christmases, hustle yeah. and bustle of family and 
so for me, hospitality means um, that we're together as a group of people. And I think the thing that I'm, again, I'm a bit introverted, but I really do crave um, just being in an environment with other people and um, having good food and good wine. And um, so I'm looking forward to a moment where we can get back to a bit more human connection. So I think the, um, a lot of the commentary at the moment, Sean is around how do you connect with um, people in non-traditional ways? Mm. The cold reality is they all suck. Um, (laughs) You know, I'd love to be there with you talking to you, right? Like I'd much prefer that than being on zoom. And Mm. it's, it is just such a, um, inadequate replacement for what we had before and we didn't realise what we had before. So yeah, true. what I'm seeing in other countries around the world, mate, is they're coming out flying and that's because people want to be together, eating food, mm-hmm. drinking, um, you know, soft drink or wine or um, beer and mine will probably be a good bottle of natural wine. Um, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. So I, w- I want that in Bells and I want that personally um, uh, when this is all over. So it feels like a long way out the way, a long way in front of us at the moment, mate, but I think that it'll be a big celebration when we get to the end. So I'm looking forward to it. I agree, mate. I hope we can um, share a natural wine together soon. Um, Or two. two. Um, uh, What's the best way that people can find out about bells and everything fantastic that you guys are doing? Oh, look, I think, um, I just think Instagram's the future, mate. That's not the future. It's the now. Like, it's like now. just follow bells on Instagram, right? Like I just think there's just stuff that goes on. I think our website's good. Um, I think our, I think Facebook's good, but I think if you follow bells on Instagram and maybe follow uh, Morgan McGlone on Instagram, who's our mm-hmm. founding chef, who um, I think he's even got more followers than Bells on Instagram. We've got a lot. Probably. He's, 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 <laughs> oh, he has, mate. He's, he's a legend. He's a man about town. He he talked at um, Google in New York a few months ago. Oh, wow. the pandemic hit. He yeah, was right. at um, the Australian LA event, you know, cooking for Chris Hemsworth, I think. And So he's he's, he's a superstar. So um, Morgan McGlone on Instagram, Bells Hot Chicken on Instagram, and you'll kind of get a sense of what we're up to and what we're doing and mm-hmm. um, or just pop into a restaurant and if you can get in great if you you know are getting served behind face masks the chicken sandwich is still good and um (laughs) that's the moment mate when you get when you buy a bottle of natural wine and you have that first bite of that chicken sandwich like that it makes pretty spectacular makes it all feel better for a little while dean bigham from bell's hot chicken thanks so much for your time thanks mate cheers